Hmm. Honestly, I'm glad you're back. But I do feel a little bit bad trying to creep you out at this time of year. I mean, it's the end of summer. It's not like there's a shortage of ambient anxiety that you need me to serve you an extra shot with tonic and spice. We know that the colder days are ahead. And so there is a natural inclination towards nervousness and apprehension at this time of year. Perhaps you feel an anticipatory dread. Or you find yourself in an inescapable reflective assessment of if you got enough summer in. Do you feel fulfilled? What more can you do to amuse, infuse, invigorate, satiate, strengthen and lengthen, gratify and satisfy yourself before the dark months take over, as well as scanning your to-do list of all the things that need to be done before the snow flies? You are not alone, darling. This is the time of year when our awareness of time and perception of loss and death becomes tacit. The colors are shifting from the rich and strong red-yellow golds and purple-blue navy of dramatic Leo season into the softer yellows, beiges, browns, moody blues, and grays of Virgo. And so we are always in the perceptive awareness of the process of departure. Seeing our lovely plants shrink down away from their beautiful, fruitful, colorful crowns and curl down into themselves like interpretive dancers communicating sorrow. The great, swaying green leaves of hippie-dancing summer are folding forward and collapsing down to the earth with a sighing exhale that is both comforted release and pensive reluctance. The air is shifting, and so the temperature is dropping, and we too will begin to think of our own mind-body relationships, of physical changes like aging and being cold that we do not want, and of physical changes that we want to make. How can we take what we have and pull it all apart and then put it all back together again before it's too late? For gone may be the come-what-may endless days of summer, but the new structures of going back to school or setting up a new work-life balance or coupling up can settle us into routines and rhythms that may feel limiting and tedious, but also reassuring and somewhat heartening in an age where certainty has become the new lust. Like our noble ancestors, be they hunter-gatherers or farmers, sexy Puritan pilgrims and wise-ass bog-witch matriarchs, the change in the air and the yellowing of leaves was when they harvested. The rhythm of scythes and pickings and pluckings among a chorus of crows was done in both gratitude and apprehension. For over the bountiful piles with joy and pride, nervous eyes would also be counting and dividing into each month ahead to guess and assess how or if the food will last. So I invite you now, in this time of uncertainty and change, to welcome in the ghosts of your hard-working ancestors, 
and we will all dance together in the fading garden in the last days of the playful summer sun and reflect on how she metaphorically dies. Her name was Danica Cortland, and she was a lovely girl. She was the type of child that everyone was always happy to see. Everyone had a smile for her. You've probably met someone just like her, even though creatures like her are special and rare. She just seemed to radiate joy and light. She had glistening, long, sunlight-colored hair and a glowing, golden complexion. Her eyes, shining like emeralds, lying just below the surface of a crystal-clear, sunlit stream in the Soka Valley of the Slovenian Alps, she was long and slender, but strong and graceful, elegant, sentient, transformative, and she moved through life as though the wind was just at her ear, whispering her directions and the energy of hope and reassurance in her naturally bright and beautiful smile alleviated all fears, anxieties, and needs. Danica was special and lovely, and for all the ways that this could be understood, she was the very embodiment of pure and true love. It was no surprise, then, that she pledged her incredibly thick, long, sunlight-colored hair to raise money for charity to celebrate her twelfth birthday. In her campaign, she was able to raise thousands of dollars within days of asking. Everyone in the town was wanting to pledge to show their support for her selflessness and the love that emanated from this darling girl. She brought out the best in everyone. Or at least that's how it seemed because as we've seen with sunlight, the brighter the beams, the darker the shadows. Now the only salon in town was run by a woman named Mindy Glomer. She had been enough of a looker when she was younger to be invited to parties, but decades of excess cinnamon buns, booze, and cigarettes with a sidecar of vindictive jealousy had turned almost every surface of her body into an homage to melon rinds, citrus peels, corn cobs, and other things I should think would go into a compost pile. Her fashion sense could be described as eclectic, borrowing little bits from every possible trend with the same curatorial sensibility as the browsing history on a random public computer, but she did all this in a way that in a small town gave her the illusion of a big city personality, and, being the only salon in town, she was seen as some sort of a style-setter, or a styled setter. I would describe meeting Mindy as comparable to finding one of those candy tins in your mom's sewing room growing up. You know the initial disappointment of opening it and finding there's absolutely nothing in there that's in any way sweet, immediately followed by the unnerving confusion of why it is a shit mix of mismatched buttons and why it smells so oddly stale? Yeah, Mindy and I were not friends, and you can judge me all you like for it. I have my reasons. 
because when Danica came in on the big day to cut off all her hair and donate it to charity with the thousands of dollars she had raised, Mindy was the one with the scissors. Now, she did a good job. Don't get me wrong. Danica looked adorable in her Sinead, and Mindy posed with her and her mother and other prominent people of the town with the giant check showing all the money she had raised. What was strange, though, was that the hair itself never made it to the charity along with the money. You know, it would have been used for wigs with people who have lost their hair to disease or chemo, but I guess no one really noticed as it was eclipsed by all the cash and the general joy that was generated by anything that Danica did. And so even as the weeks passed and Danica's hair grew very little, no one really noticed because she looked so eternally adorable and sparked so much joy. They did notice, however, when September came, and she started to look gray and breathless, and dark shadows formed under her eyes. She seemed tired all the time, her limbs crackly and weak, and she found it difficult to raise her eyes to greet people when she had always been so warm and vibrant before. She was fading, and as the leaves fell, so too did her complexion, and then her weight. Very few people saw Danica Cortland that entire winter, and those that did were rendered silent by the tragic grace of a girl who had become but a desiccated and hollow version of herself. Quite the contrast was Ms. Mindy Glormer. Ever the attention-seeker, she had changed her hair into a streaky blonde sort of 1950s bouffant updo and seemed to have gotten some work done or started exercising regularly because her eyes were less droopy and she was thinner in the middle. Indeed, as the months wore on, Mindy started to look younger and younger and brighter and brighter and, like, warmer and kinder. Now, she had always worn so much makeup it was difficult to tell if it wasn't just a ton of cosmetics. But when she hosted a massive charity auction and was convincingly kind about it, everyone noticed what a change she had made. She even used her own money from the salon to start a rescue shelter for dogs. The old Mindy was miserly and manipulative with money in a perpetually vindictive and jealous way of being. But here, Mindy was being exceptionally generous and good and kind, and healthy, and loving, and looking the part more and more every day, never a hair out of place. Danica died in her sleep, without struggle, in the second week of March. She was not yet thirteen, and the doctors could not explain it other than that she must have had an idiopathic intestinal infection leading to septicemia and multiple organ failure, which would also explain why her hair just never grew back. 
The day she was buried, Mindy didn't attend the funeral, but sent her kindest regards. Because she had been alerted to the need to rescue five fawn-colored greyhounds from a neighboring county, sympathetic to their terror, Mindy brought the dogs all together and let them remain together in the main playpen rather than separating them into individual kennels, their bodies underfed and weak and trembling as she read the memorial card from Danica's funeral that a neighbor had considerately placed in her mailbox. Lighting a cigarette, she poured herself a drink and sat down. Never far from her roots, she looked over the card, paused on Danica's photo, called her a sad, stupid bitch, and slid her shoes off onto the floor. Slinking back into her chair with her cigarette, Mindy's big, bouffant hairdo began to slip forward. And so Mindy just reached up and pulled the whole thing off. It was a wig, when she had made herself, of some of the finest and thickest sunlight-colored hair that she had ever seen in her life, hair that she was supposed to send to the charity, but instead she secretly kept for herself and sewed into a wig that she dyed with streaks so no one would guess that it was Danica's hair that she had stolen. Now as Mindy drank her way through another cigarette, the dogs were becoming more agitated in the pen. With her hair off and no one around, Mindy could be her old self. So she yelled at the dogs to shut up with a cigarette still stuck in her mouth. But the dogs did not listen. Instead, they became even more agitated and distressed, jumping up and scratching, 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 scratching against the gate. All right, all right, all right, she said, as she got up and grabbed a scoop of kibble and unlatched the cage door to let the dogs out into the yard. But they did not jump up or run past her, as she expected, but instead pinned their ears straight back and lowered their glare with a low, snarling growl directed right at Mindy. She didn't even have time to scream, but turned with her eyes wide and ran straight out the door into the darkness. But even with her bare feet frantically paddling at the grass and mud, all five of the greyhounds made a very outclassed and outnumbered Mindy Glomher their game. They quickly chased her down like a wounded deer and overpowered her. When her body was found the next morning, she was just at the edge of the woods, lying on her side with her limbs outstretched and her neck tipped awkwardly back thrusting her face into the sunrise that burned the fog from the morning. She was initially unrecognizable, for she was almost completely bald, overweight, and out of shape. And though she had only been there a few hours, advanced decomposition had already begun. Nothing of the healthy-looking, kind-seeming Mindy remained. Her bare feet were the only footprints leading out to her decrepit and monstrous corpse, 
and as they rolled her over to lift her up, her jaw fell open to reveal the apparent cause of death. Dear Mindy, it seemed, had a wig in her throat, and five beautifully healthy, sunlight-colored greyhounds were sleeping peacefully on her bed. Now I surely am the very first woman to ever suggest that there is a negative attitude held towards women and aging, and I surely am the very first woman to ever suggest that the misogynistic fear of witches is a deeply encoded starvation anxiety rooted in the personification of the earth as a fertile female now becoming the frightfully menopausal old crone as we move into the fall. It is a topic so fresh and smooth I barely have anything to say about it. But I, for one, am certainly not a woman who is in the company of any witchy ghosts. And yet there are people in this world who, regardless of their age, will live with the feeling that they have only ever just arrived and are experiencing everything in the world for the very first time. They have an innocent and demure energy about them, where a continuous fascination and interest in the miracles of the mundane lead them to be very meticulous and tidy, gentle and humane creatures, but their transitive nature can mean that they often appear unreachable, closed off woven into an internal logic that is all their own, causing them to feel lonely and misunderstood in turn. One such person was Corey Lee. Growing up on an acreage in the West Central Plains, Corey was the sixth child in a family of twelve, but to be honest, that was the only thing that was certain about them. It was maybe noticed when Corey was born that there was a little bit of both down there, but to Corey's parents such distinctions were not important, because if maybe a little delicate and bony, Corey was healthy and strong, exceptionally kind and compassionate, helpful to their siblings and dutiful to their parents. Polite and even-tempered, Corey was most often found to be engaging in simple, meditative, and practical tasks like cleaning and organizing shelves and drawers, while the other children rushed outside to play and yell and run and scream and thrash and cry. Corey's large, dark brown eyes were more likely to be transfixed on the fibers of a spider's web or the tiny feet of a ladybug walking behind a dusty, occluded window, contemplating how to clean the glass without disturbing the insects, pondering on the consequences of releasing the pain from the shading of the grime, for if the window was no longer reflective, could it mean that the sun would make it too hot and they could not live there anymore? Now, being a person who exists surrounded by siblings in such an awareness of life, it's difficult to understand how Corey might be lonely, but indeed they really, really were. 
one or two devastating losses from oblivious footsteps or intentional swats and shots had taught Corey that most humans can be very gruff and aggressive and just don't care as much as they do. This caused Corey to close off a little, consoling themselves with a dutiful observance of mourning for all the helpless creatures who live without voices to cry for mercy and care. And as they got older and older, and their bodies started to change. Corey found themselves more and more wandering off through the fields to get away from the noise of their siblings. A little ways down the field was a grove of hazel, and from there down into the ravine was a long and thick bramble of blackberries. Following this, Corey would enter into a little hollow that would lead down into the crickety bliss of the warm sand at the river. There the wind sang in a gentle and consoling breeze, a hollow whisper and the promise of kisses you need only turn your face into to receive. The banks were lined with the gently waving fingers of coyote willow, and the soil was a soft and powdery beige glacial silt mixed with pebbles of brown and grey granite and quartz-banded agate. It was the music in the wind that soothed Corey here, such a peaceful harmony of safety and bliss, hushing the rush of the river with the flickers of crickets and snakes, and with their long bony legs pulled up into their chest and their long brown locks free in the breeze, Corey would arrange the fallen beige-yellow willow leaves into flower petals around a single center stone, or use a small twig to help an insect cross over tiny pools of water in the clay. It was in one such act of beauty and kindness that Corey looked down into the water and saw themselves. The sky behind them was bright, but overcast, and so from within a silvery halo of the sky reflected their shadowy face emerged partially represented by the grey-brown mud and stones of the bottom of the pool. Corey found they could move their positioning above their reflection so that the stones lined up with their features, and for an instant, Corey saw themselves exactly as they've always wanted to be, their face enhanced and defined and beautiful, their hand reaching towards their hand, their tears dropping down to meet their tears, and there Corey felt the love and belonging that they have always craved. And so reaching down into the pool, Corey pulled the soft clay from the river and began to pile and shape it on the warm bank below the willows. In time, a full clay body of elegant proportions was lying on the riverbank, and Corey lay their cheek onto its warm and enticing, damp clay chest and welcomed the feelings of love. I cannot tell you how much time had passed, and it breaks my heart to tell you this next part because Corey awoke from their rest to find themselves lying on a shapeless pile of dust. 
the water warmed by the mid-September sun that had given the clay such a human and lifelike feeling had all dried away, and the feelings of union and love and acceptance and safety and belonging that Corey had felt were all gone with it. The grim and lonely reality of the shattered illusion stirred Corey with aching limbs to pull himself back up into crouching, where shivering in the autumn air they examined the dried mud that was now all over their body. Shocked by their filthy appearance and shamed by the memory of their recent hedonistic abandon, Corey scrambled down to the river to wash. They cried as the mud streaked off their body under frantically scrubbing fingers, and being so distraught and overwhelmed by guilt and despair, Corey thrashed themselves down into the river and threw themselves under to be cleaned. The river was old and wise and deceptive. So once they entered the water, it was too late. Their feet slipped on the silty stones, and Corey was pulled down into the powerful current, drifting quickly past the waving fingers of the coyote willow in the whispering winds, until they were pulled down under the surface to remain in the silent embrace of the sensual place that exists between earth and sky. For the person who lived between the worlds, in that lonely space between how we think things should be and how things are, Corey finally found themselves in a relationship that will never, ever, ever let them go, and is now one of the ghosts of the silver mist that emerge in spring and fall to whisper to the mud of the silty rivers that the season is changing, climbing over the willows in long and bony, insect-like misty limbs, hollow eyes searching for anyone who will mirror their feelings of loneliness and jealousy and despair. I've seen them there. Don't let them touch you. Hmm. With the sun moving into Virgo after this full moon in Aquarius, both Venus and Mars will be in Libra until the middle of the month. So thoughts of unity and balance and harmony in idealistic relationships will be a strong influence. Like our dear, tragic Corey. Where do you see yourself reflected? And is that an authentic and honest image of yourself? You may want to think of this in your relationships with others, or in exploring the duality of your own person. For Mercury will also be in Libra for the entire month, so you may feel somewhat compelled to communicate your needs and desires seeking harmony and balance and effort and value and healing in your relationships. However, Jupiter and Saturn will remain in opposition, 
so the struggle between innovation and restriction that we felt in the last month will remain as a strong influence. You may feel this as being reminded of old fears and wounds that make you feel insecure, or second-guess the trustworthiness of new opportunities and technologies, or they may appear as obstinate and jealous and conservative people like Mindy that seem to sabotage or restrict our ability to move forward. It is no lie that the world is facing some very difficult challenges right now, and it would be helpful to remember that some people will express their stress and fear as anger, jealousy, or despair. The influence of Libra will create the space in our hearts to respond with compassion, so let's also be mindful of our own fears and illusions, for both Mindy and Corey met their fate through the tragedy of self-deception. The love that we seek in others will only ever reflect the love that we have for ourselves. So Mindy, with her jealousy, trying to steal from others what she felt she needed in order to be loved, and Corey giving themselves to someone or something that could never, possibly, ever love them back. Both stories are about worthiness. We must meet ourselves in the place between what we want and what we have. For in order to be loved for what we are, we must first forgive ourselves for what we are not and understand the inevitability of change, uncertainty, and flow. The influence of Virgo can often be of needing to present physical and moral perfection to offset rejection. But as Venus moves down into sultry Scorpio on September 10th, what we hold top of mind can become more obsessive and potentially cruel after that time, so do please be kind to yourself this month. Embrace your physicality. Honor your body with good foods and exercise. Trust in the goodness of others. Try not to let feelings of anger, despair, guilt, and jealousy overpower you but use them as information and motivation to make positive changes in the places you need to heal. Feel that fresh shift in the air that this Aquarian full moon brings, and try to listen for what the wind whispers to you as you walk on the earth as much as you can this month. For it is not unreasonable to remember, sweet darling, that one day you too may be walking the earth without leaving any footprints, and it will be you who in the wind can only whisper. Thank you.